0: Welcome to Africa for Zero Waste podcast, where we have thought-provoking conversations about zero waste shared by real people implementing solutions across Africa. I'm Sureshni Ryder, and today we will discuss the INC2, which took place from the 29th of May to the 2nd of June. On the show, we're excited to have our expert guests during this discussion. We're joined by Marissa Naidu. Marissa is Gaia's Africa plastic campaigner. She has a background in marine microplastic pollution and has previously worked in youth advocacy and campaigning for marine protected areas in Africa and globally. Marissa joined the Gaia team in February of 2022 and is based in Durban, South Africa. Andrea Lema. Andrea is the founder and national director of Plastic Co, a project for a local NGO that fights plastic pollution in Ecuador. Andrea is an activist for the rights of nature, and has a leadership background promoting the zero-waste movement nationwide. Mohammed Kamal. Mohammed is the current co-director of Greenish and a solid waste management expert based in Egypt with over five years of experience working in the field of environmental waste consulting, civil society empowerment, and engaging in various advocacy spaces on subjects associated with climate and waste. He primarily specialized in mismanagement of solid waste, specifically mismanagement of plastic and its respective leakage into the environment. Welcome, everyone. It's wonderful to have this discussion with you. And let's start off with Marissa. Marissa, before we get started, let us recap for our listeners, what is the Global Plastic Treaty and the INC, and how does it come about?
1: Thank you so much, Sureshni. On the 2nd of March, the United Nations Environment Programme, which is UNEP, announced the adoption of the world's first global plastics treaty to end plastic pollution. This moment in history offered us, as the globe, a solution to the global problem of plastic pollution, and recognises the right that we all have to a healthy, safe, and clean environment. It gives us the opportunity to reconstruct the curve of plastic overproduction and consumption and remediate environmental injustices that plastics life cycle has borne to fence line communities, waste pickers, and indigenous communities, and turn the tide on false solutions and greenwashing. However, the Global Plastics Treaty has been the result of strong pressure that has been mounting globally for action on plastics for several decades. At an international level, this has been part of ongoing discussions at the United Nations Environment Assembly, which is a group of countries that meets approximately every two years or so. And at the last meeting, which was UNEA 5.2, we got a unanimous resolution, which we refer to as a mandate, Resolution 5.14. We transitioned from restricting the plastic pollution crisis to a marine litter-only problem to one that needs to be addressed across the entire life cycle of plastics. As part of the UNEA 514 resolution, UNEP requested the Executive Director to convene what is called an Intergovernmental Negotiating Committee or INC to begin its work during the second half of 2022 with the ambition of completing its work by the end of 2024 and we are now on to the second INC moving ahead to the third INC in November this
0: year Andrea let me come to you can you explain to us why plastic is such a big issue and what are some of the ways that communities in the global south are disproportionately affected by the plastic crisis
2: Hello everyone, Uh, thank you for the question. From my perspective, plastics are a big issue because it's a material that pollutes all along its life cycle, um, from extraction of raw materials, which in this case are fossil fuels, to the final disposal, which in Ecuador and I guess in other countries, uh, we have similar scenarios where the majority of waste ends up in landfills, incineration plants or polluting the environment. And for the second part of the question, I think the communities in the Global South are particularly affected by this issue in different ways. So the first, I will say, is the difference in capacity compared with countries in the Global North. So it is well known that our communities do not have the budget nor the infrastructure to have efficient waste management systems. And plus, we have built our societies and cities under a hygienic point of view. So municipalities are mostly focused on keeping a city clean rather than minimizing waste. And secondly, we have been negatively impacted by waste colonialism, which is a product of unfair uh, global plastic waste trade. So in the case of Ecuador, we have a few enterprises that import plastic waste as raw materials for their productivity. Uh, However, the country does not have the capacity to check the state of these imports. And therefore, in some cases, half of it ends up buried in landfills or thrown away in the natural environment. So I think all these scenarios make uh, plastic pollution a very difficult issue for the global south. But however, I believe that countries like mine have a lot to teach to countries in the global north, especially indigenous communities that have lived for centuries without plastic and also youth that now is growing consciousness regarding this issue and are willing to change their lifestyle for a better future. Thank you, Andrea.
0: Marissa. what is the United Nations negotiating system like? Who are the negotiators and who are the observers? Thanks, Sureshni. So the UN
1: negotiating system represents negotiations that take place primarily between governments, that is, government delegations, are meeting each other every two years. And as CSOs, our civil society organizations, we represent the observers. So our role there is mainly observers and not as negotiators. And that is by permission and not necessarily by right. Unfortunately, we don't always have the right to speak. And exactly what those rights are are yet to be determined or thrashed out. There are different rules that apply to our presence and interventions as civil society and as observers, and many countries generally support our presence, but there are also a few countries that want us out of the negotiating room. As CSOs, our role, therefore, is mainly to lobby for positions that we want to see enacted in the final treaty, and the best way for us to do that is To be useful. So, that is providing technical, local knowledge, good arguments, and evidence that is scientifically sound to bolster the understanding of the plastic problem with governments and government delegations. So we are seen essentially as a good source of reliable information and good arguments, and it becomes easier once we are able to convince governments of those positions and of those arguments. So it's very much a process of relationship building and trust building between governments and between observers.
0: Andrea, what are some of the issues that observers from the Global South have encountered when trying to participate in the negotiations?
2: So I think the main issue we have encountered is the lack of effective participation. So in the INC 1, there was a stakeholder forum that only took energy out of civil society organizations and had no further impact on the negotiations. In the INC 2, there was limited access to the venue where the negotiations were held, or at least that's what was informed by the secretariat previous to the meeting. So in this case, many NGOs had to spend more time money and energy dealing with this, although at the end we all had access to the venue. So there there was confusion there. Uh, Another issue I guess uh, we have is visas. So most of people from the global south need a visa to travel to the countries where the INC is held. And in my personal experience, it was a nightmare since there, there was no appointments available Uh, And at the end, I got my visa just 24 hours before I had to get to the plane and travel to Paris for the INC2. And finally, I will say that language is also an issue since not everyone from the Global South speaks English. Uh, So I remember in the INC1, the GRU Lab coordinator asked the observers to make their interventions in English uh, since the room did not have simultaneous translation. Uh, so this might seem like a little issue, but when you have to speak up representing your communities in an environment like the one you get in the INC with limited time where you might have to use technical language, it becomes a huge problem of par- of participation. Thank you so much for that. Mohammed. let me ask you, what
0: are the key demands of civil society for the Global Plastic Treaty?
3: Thank you very much for the question and for having me. Um, well, it's very important to start by... Trying to put a a general framework, there's a lot of demands from civil society, but the key thing that stands out that is very important to mention is that we must not approach the treaty, and this is a very important demand, that it's just a waste management treaty, that we're treating this as a waste management problem. We need to address the full life cycle of plastic all the way from production and even from the extraction of material all the way till the usage and eventual disposal. Of the material itself uh, and the different plastic products. Another thing that is very important is to uphold the UN human rights resolution uh, for all people that it's a human right to have a safe clean and healthy environment and that this environment is toxic free uh, because a considerable number of plastic products produced are produced from toxic chemicals and this ties in very closely to false solutions. One of the key demands coming from civil society is we need to avoid uh, false solutions. They cannot be uh, a getaway or uh, more or less uh, uh, a way of going back into the problem again. There, there might be solutions that are beneficial in a certain way, but things such as chemical recycling, even terminologies that are extremely problematic, such as advanced recycling, these terminologies. In addition to practices that already exist, uh, such as waste incineration, these are not necessarily solutions to the problem. They're just a way of utilizing the resource in not the best way possible. So an important demand is to avoid and oppose these false solutions. Some of these solutions might be things such as biodegradable or compostable plastic bags. They're simply shifting the problem and the actual problem itself is not being addressed. Other things that are very important that also the society has called for is an equitable and just transition for the informal sector. A key stakeholder that unfortunately we have seen time and time again overlooked and not given the appropriate platform to be integrated in these key discussions is the informal sector. Uh, in this context, the informal sector includes the waste pickers and the informal recyclers as well. And It's very important to have them as part of this discussion and there must be a clear framework for a just transition uh, for the work they do. Um, very important as well to mention, uh, the, there has been calls from civil society for a global uh, extended producer responsibility or EPR scheme and system. And the importance of this is predominantly that we need to hold producers accountable, but governments need to hold producers accountable. It cannot be uh, a private or led by the private sector. It needs to be governments that are responsible of this process of EPR. One more thing is that a financial mechanism needs to be put in place to support countries, especially developing countries, in implementing this eventual treaty and implementing action plans and interventions that support implementing the treaty, but more importantly, the initiatives and interventions needed to address plastic pollution and the problem we're facing with primary plastic polymers across the full life cycle, and that these funds cannot add additional financial burdens and the forms that they can take, the different financial modalities that they could possibly take Uh, have to be accommodating of the circumstances in developing countries. And they must accommodate a just transition for these countries as well uh, and the different contexts uh, that that entails. Last thing I want to mention is, while I did mention that this is not a waste management treaty, we cannot ignore the importance of waste management and that this treaty must be inclusive, that we cannot address plastic pollution without environmentally sound management of solid waste across the full life cycle and this is very important also and this was very importantly called by civil society that this must be a crucial part uh, of uh, the treaty.
0: Can you talk us through some of the key takeaways from the INC2 Uh, and did this meet the expectations of civil society
3: organizations? If I'm being completely honest, there was disappointment from civil society with regards to INC2 Uh, The start of the INC2 was much slower than expected. Maybe we did expect it to start slow because now we're getting into the core discussions of what will eventually become core text of the treaty. But there was disappointment because we are starting to see some of the concerns that we have raised repeatedly over the past period, especially before INC2, between INC1 and INC2, regarding things such as consensus and voting taking the the main stage for prolonged periods of time. And the problem or disappointment in that regard is if we eventually have the rules of procedure are predominantly focused on or using consensus and there is no form of voting that uh, is allowed to take place for certain issues that will definitely be contentious or up for discussion. The problem with that is that we know that certain elements that might be controversial for some countries, which are plastic producing countries, will simply require consensus that will not go forward. So this sense of disappointment is there. It's also a concern that has to be voiced. Another thing that was another important takeaway from INC2 is that it became clearer the clusters that we're starting to see countries take. So we're starting to see a clear cluster of the plastic producers uh, taking clear positions in plastic producing countries and countries that are predominantly dependent on fossil fuel. Also, countries with, uh, with strong petrochemical industries are, t- are starting to take clear positions with regards to very clear terminologies that they cannot or will not accept having. Things such as banning or phasing out. These terminologies for them very clearly Posed a threat to the industry so these are important takeaways to take into consideration for our work going forward as we approach INC3 and a zero draft text a civil society on the other hand it was also good to see the ambitious or amb- the, the clear ambition adopted by a lot of countries from Latin America and from Africa as well with regards to having a high ambition approach to really tackling plastic pollution through a full life cycle approach and really taking into consideration some of the positions that were adopted by civil society and I think it's a key, key takeaway way is that there is a space for civil society to engage with these certain countries and certain actors going into INC3 and further championing the voice of civil society through their interventions and negotiations.
0: Uh, Marissa, what happens next? When is INC3 and what are some of the things that will happen then? So, INC3 is expected to take place
1: between the 13th and the 17th of November. However, those dates are yet to be fully finalized. At INC3, we can expect the following. So as Mohammed mentioned, there has been many countries that have been stalling a final decision on the rules of procedure. And the rules of procedure is a document that will determine how states and organizations can engage in the future of these negotiations. So we can expect that the provisional draft rules of procedure will possibly come up again for more time wasted at INC3 because it hasn't yet been adopted. But we also had an agreement from INC2 for a zero-draft, which can be expected to be negotiated at the INC3, so that is a zero-draft of the Plastics Treaty. So at INC2, the committee requested that the chair of the treaty, with the support of the Secretariat, prepare a zero-draft text of the International Legally Binding Instrument for Consideration at INC3. Now, this draft is to be guided by the views that were expressed by member states and observers at INC 1 and at INC 2. In addition to this, the committee also requested that the Secretariat was to invite submissions on firstly elements that were not discussed at INC 2, such as principles, and the scope of the instrument, and any potential areas for intercessional work compiled by the co-facilitators of two contact groups to inform the work of INC3. In this context, the committee decided to invite submissions by the following deadlines, which is the 15th of August for written submissions by observer organizations, and the 15th of September 2023 for written submissions by members of the committee.
0: Mohamed, what efforts can organizations take if they want to support the ongoing work of civil society in the global plastic treaty negotiations?
3: I think this is a very important question to ask. I think a lot of people struggle to see where they fit when it comes to intergovernmental negotiating committees or negotiations in general. It can be quite frustrating when you start to get into all the details of how the UN system works. However, uh, it's important to really emphasize that civil society and organizations in general, civil society in all its forms, which also includes social enterprises and different forms and even independent actors, they play a crucial role. So one thing that's very important to highlight as a good example is always remember that the negotiators that are negotiating on behalf of the country that you are part of or the context that you live in, they're not usually having the full picture and they most probably do not actively reach out to get the opinion of civil society. So one thing that is we usually recommend for different actors to do or organizations is to proactively reach out to those people. You can find their focal point information even on the INC portal um, and you can reach out to them. and Reach out to them and engage with them. Give them your perspective. Get to understand their perspective. It's part of their role uh, as the focal points and also the negotiators to take this information in because this will help them draw a better picture. So just by simple engagement, voicing what you would deem as a priority for your context, what you deem as a priority for the, the country that you're representing or working in, uh, is very useful and very important. Another thing that's very important is to keep yourself updated. Um, one of the things that people usually do not realize the importance of is the INC process for the Plastic Treaty w- is starting to move slightly faster. There's going to be uh, a lot of things happening in parallel. And eventually, once we get to the zero draft text, things will come in together. Doing your best to stay informed will help other work that you do. So it's not only about influencing the plastic treaty. It's very important to influence the Plastic Treaty and to voice and to support the work of civil society by engaging your respective delegates in your country. But on the other hand, the other side is also important. The flip of the coin of you taking information from the Plastic Treaty and seeing how this fits with the work that you already do on the ground, whether it's work to do with uh, something very downstream like cleanups or something very upstream like reduction in production or where you work on something associated with sustainable consumption. It's very important to stay on track because what we're seeing at INC2 is some important discussions that haven't really taken place before with regards to things associated with production things associated with uh, reuse systems in certain contexts these discussions are still very very new by staying on track with this you'll get the right information and you will engage with the right people to help your context as well so this is these are the two key things I'd highlight for when when wanting to engage with the process or affecting or influencing the process itself
0: and where can individuals find more information about the work that BFFP and Gaia have been doing on the Global Plastic Treaty?
3: So, I mean, the easy answer is to follow the social medias for, for BFFP and for Gaia as well. However, I do want to highlight that on the portal of Gaia or the Global Alliance for Incinerator Alternatives, you'll find a lot of useful booklets. It's just very small information snippets. These small booklets, they tend to be very subject-focused. And I think they're a fantastic resource because not everyone needs to be a subject expert. Actually, we do not need more subject experts. We need more people who have access to a variety of information to make informed decisions. What these small snippets provide you is, so for instance, you come up against the term chemical recycling and you're not really sure what it means or I'm I'm having someone raise it in front of me. But now that I know that chemical recycling has a snippet or a small booklet on Gaia's platform, I can just take that booklet out, open it find a lot of useful information about it. And also what I'll find is references. So these small snippets provide you the key information you need to know about every specific term or specific subject. So that's a very important resource that I personally have found very useful during my work. Another thing that I would also want to shout out is Gaia and BFFP are made up of organizations and core members that manage the work that they do. So you can check their platforms, but what might be very useful as well is to check the members of the alliance or the movement itself. You start to find each organization, which might even be a network that is a member of the, orga- of the movement. These networks or organizations, they do a lot of amazing and fantastic work. The key thing I'll do is try to prioritize for yourself, what are the key areas I'm interested in as an organization or a person, then start looking for the information and the respective organizations which might house this information. Uh, I think these are the things I would shout out for finding more information.
0: Fantastic. Thank you all. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us during that informative discussion about the INC2. We hope this was beneficial to you. Thank you for listening to Africa for Zero Waste podcast. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and be sure to return next time. Until then, my name is Sureshni Ryder.